0: If somebody asked me to come and do a teaching on prayer, I would do Ephesians 6.18. Now, understand, there's a lot in the Bible on prayer, a lot of wonderful examples. But Ephesians 6.18 really has the most amount of precepts, I think, than any verse. You know, as Calvary Chapel, we teach chapter by chapter. We teach verse by verse, But we also teach precept by precept. And in this verse, there's several precepts, and I think it covers them all, with the title of praying in the Spirit, right? I mean, every religion prays, right? And remember, Jesus sort of mocked the Pharisees because when they went in to pray, They said, thank you, God, I'm so righteous. Thank you that I'm not like that text collector over there. And and Jesus says of him, and the Pharisee went in to pray to himself. In other words, he was praying, but it wasn't going to God's throne. Because he was praying not to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was praying to a false god the Pharisees had in their thinking. And so we want to know what what is to be a person praying to themselves or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or whatever. And and they're praying and they're doing it so uh, diligently. And they're, you know, many of them schedule it several times a day and they have certain beads and certain mats and facing certain directions. And they have certain prayers they recite over and over and over again. We see that in Catholicism, right? And, and is this what God wants? Is this really effective? I think when we are religious, we feel good about ourselves. But that's such a deceptive lie. Jesus was never religious. They hated him for it. He didn't go to their schools. He didn't wear their garments. He didn't practice the way they wanted him to practice, and he had success not being religious, and they hated him for it. We don't want to be religious. So I think we could just simply say praying in the Spirit is not religious praying. I think we could just simply say that. If we find ourselves religiously praying, I just say, you're better off not praying at all. Because the point of praying in the Spirit is truly connecting with God. When you say that? There's one prayer that connects to God, and that's the praying in the Spirit. When we really are wanting to fellowship with God, to be with God. You know, when I go out and, and witness, and after people come to Christ, like what do I do now and I'm like love the Lord that's it we have no other commandment than to love God with all your heart mind soul and strength well how would I do that how do you love your earthly father how would you do that I don't know I guess tell him yeah I mean that that works sometimes I think that's true but a lot of times we can we can say words and and they really are hollow right I think every time I've gotten stabbed in the back, the words preceded it as I love you. Um, So I know people can say it, not even realizing saying it sometimes. It can become hollow. But really, how do you do it? And I said, if you called your dad up and said, dad, let's go to breakfast together. Would your dad love that? Man, he would. What if you sat down and handed your dad a drink and sat on the couch and said, Dad, let me just tell you everything going on in my life, and I'd like to get your wisdom. What do you think? How do you think your dad would feel? Oh, man, I, I think he would love that. Is there anything really else? Presence, saying it, doing chores, I mean, all those things. I, I think really those two things which are both communication. What is that? The first one saying, I want you. I think the two most powerful opposites is the scar of being rejected that just never goes away. That's a wound that just keeps festering till the day you die. That's why you never want to reject people. But two is acceptance and the desire, I want you, I want you, I want you. I want to be with you. I want to hear your voice. I want to touch you. I want to, you know, we don't have to do anything. We can just sit and, and and read, you read half the newspaper, I read half the newspaper. Just being in the same room, the power of presence. And so I think in the spirit, it just first is saying, God, I want to be with you. Hey, you know, God really rejoices in us, doesn't he? I mean, God really doesn't just love you out of duty. He really loves you because he loves you. And he even likes you. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. The other day I saw an email. A pastor goes, man, I'm so thankful for my wife because I know God's always going to bless my life because my wife. And uh, he doesn't want to curse her, so he's blessing us both. So she's blessed. And, uh, and I thought in my mind, okay, You have enough faith to believe God can bless the righteous, but do you have enough faith to believe God can bless the unrighteous? You see, isn't it God's loving kindness and tender mercies that bring us to repentance? You see, God blesses us because he loves us. He hears us because he loves us. So I think we want to come in the spirit, saying, God, I I want to connect with you. Jesus said, it's not by your many words. It's not our words in and of themselves. Matter of fact, David says, it could just be the meditation of my heart. It doesn't even actually have to be outer words spoken because it's spirit, right? God is spirit. God doesn't need me to actually say something out loud on earth to hear my words. He can hear right from my spirit. So it can be just a meditation of the heart, but a longing, a worship, a desire, a connection, isn't that really? I mean, if your your kid said, "Let's go to breakfast," and the whole time they're like, "Hey, just to let you know, I only got twenty minutes." It's like, I don't know if we can. Answer, I don't know if we can order the food and get it in twenty minutes here, but we'll try. And the whole time they're answering texts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Oh, I'm so glad we have breakfast. Yeah, so, you know, oh, there's food. Let's eat. Hey, it's great to have breakfast and leave. Would that? It was great intention. You said, I want to spend time with you, dad. That dad was, whoa, this is wonderful. But there was never a connection made. It's really creating a moment. This let you know, that's it. I hope to this morning, we create a moment. A moment maybe in the songs, moment in the sermon, maybe a moment of somebody talking to you and sharing what God's doing in their life or praying for you. But we really want a connection. We are physically here because we need a connection. And in essence, you're saying, Brian, help my connection with God be stronger. Isn't that what you're saying? And, and part of that connection is by connecting with one another, other lovers of God, causes us, our, our, our little tiny uh, coal that's sitting outside the fire, you put it back in the fire with the other coals and we all come together and woo, get warmed up again, okay. Go back out. But if you came here religiously and you're like, the most important thing about this service is it getting over quickly. That's the number. Well, you know what? I'm glad you're here, but it really isn't the right heart. You're sort of blocked from the connection. You're sort of hindered from getting warmed up by the others because it's out of religious duty that you're quickly wanting to get the religious duty over rather than enjoying the moment. But if your child comes to breakfast and says, hey, I'm glad to be here, and their phone is off, and they're just connecting with you, you see, that that means something. So I, I think we need to say that prayer is a connection And hopefully that connection is based in love between you and God. Isn't that really what he wants? He loves you, if you would, with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why do we know that? Because he gave his only begotten son to take all your ugly, wicked sins on himself and be punished. That's no greater love does a man have for another man than to lay down his life. But the love that Christ has for us is why we were yet sinners, why we were enemies of God. He loved us. Okay, so praying in the spirit. So we come back now and we realize it's about Jesus, about connecting with him. Let's let's go back. We just said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And Paul could have said up front, the key to all of this spiritual battle is prayer. But we all know, just because the last thing mentioned is the last thing mentioned doesn't mean it's the least important thing. A matter of fact, often we save the most important thing for last. That's, that's, that's sort of a, a, a tool that speakers sometimes use that to, to save the best for last. And so... We think about, let's uh, just think about the armor. I'm not going to go in order here, but to start t- with the head. The head of salvation, the helmet of salvation. Where does salvation come from? Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness. Where does our righteousness come from? <laughs> Jesus. The belt of truth. What truth? The truth Jesus spoke to us. And John, Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. Know this truth, and that truth will set you free. And then our feet shed with the gospel of peace. What's the gospel? It's about Jesus, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is why Paul says, early in Ephesians, he'll say it in Philippians and Colossians, put on, what? The Lord Jesus Christ. And to make no provisions for the flesh. Take off the old man. Put on the new man. And so, we realize now, Jesus, as this helmet goes on, it's through a loving connection with Christ. My salvation comes through God loving me and for me to believe that he loves me. <laughs> and to believe that he really loves me enough to die for me and that his death is the power of my salvation. To put on the breastplate of righteousness, oh God, I'm so sinful. I'm, I'm trying to believe. The thief on the cross. That guy had a lot of faith. Today, Jesus, listen to me. When you, I've, although I've sinned my entire lifetime, I'm 40 years old. I don't know how old it was, but I, for 40 years, I've been living a horrible, horrible, unproductive, evil, mean, cruel, treacherous life where I just rob people and I've never been good for the society or for anybody. But remember me when you come to your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He was clothed in righteousness by faith alone. And then our truth, the belief, the word of God. Boy, that's under attack today, isn't it? The logos. And then the feet, the gospel. So what's Satan trying to do? Boom, knock that helmet off. Am I really saved? I don't know if I'm saved. I know my wife's saved because she's a good person, but am I saved, you know? Oh, no, I know. hey. It never was you. It never was your works. It never was yourself. Try to knock the breastplate of righteousness, pierce it. You're not really righteous. You know, it's not my righteousness. God made me righteous. The belt of truth, the Logos, is God really says They're missing books of the Bible. You know, if you see on YouTube, there's a whole young generation of kids becoming not just not followers of Christ, leaving the church. They're becoming soldiers in the atheist army and it's so funny as I've studied apologetics when you listen to their arguments on atheism they are so simple to overthrow one blow of the sword and their armor of atheism falls completely apart I encourage you to go on YouTube and listen to Ray Comfort talking to atheists 5 minutes. They go from being a soldier in the Atheist army to going, "Okay, I'm an agnostic. <laughs> There's no way anybody can be an atheist." Okay. "Why are you why are you ignorant? Let me talk about Christ and then become a Christian." It's amazing. I've seen the same exact thing. So again, Satan's trying to bust your feet so you don't share Jesus with anybody. You keep your lamp under your bed or under your bushel. He's trying to make you walk around wounded. You've got this gaping hole and you don't think you're righteous anymore because you said this or did this or, or, or you know, you know better and you still sinned and you got this gaping wound. Or you don't have a helmet. No. We now have the sword of the Spirit, the rhema, the word that comes from God. We talk about this. Uh, a week ago, the Rama word of the Lord, the day-by-day word that comes from the Lord. And in all of that, Paul says, it's prayer is going on. Prayer. Prayer is what brings about our salvation. Prayer is what gives us a strength in our righteousness. Prayer is that mulling over like a cow chewing, 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 chewing. That's Us getting our truth on, Jesus, our fellowship, and him speaking it to our life, and then the gospel again. It comes as we're in love with Jesus, and we're free in Jesus, and we know the truth, and it's truly set us free. And how can we keep our mouth shut? Did you guys see this last week in San Diego? Uh, An armor truck, somehow the back end blew open, and millions of dollars blew all over the freeway. Did you see this? It just happened this last week. And uh, all these people are getting globs of cash and, and stuff. And the police are going, hey, that's silly. it's the bank's money. If you picked it up, bring it to the to the uh, sheriff's department. And, and they were saying five people brought it in. And, but how many of those people are calling and going, hey, get over on this freeway now? <laughs> There's more money here than anybody? I mean, how many people were racing over that freeway? And, and they had people... Uh, In the afternoon, walking along the freeway, finding cash in the bushes and stuff. Well, they, they, they thought they found a treasure and they wanted to share it. And Christ, if he's our treasure, we can't help but share it. So we see here, first of all, in verse 18, praying always. Let me read this verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. There it is being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. First of all, we see this word praying always, unceasingly, without ceasing, in all times, in every occasion. Prayer is to be happening. There's never an occasion that prayer shouldn't be going on. Hey, this is the time you don't pray. There's just never, it's always a time to pray. And so there's all kinds of varied ways we can pray. Prayer can be confession, it can be adoration, it can be thanksgiving, it can be a petition, it can be intercession for another person, it can be verbal or non-verbal, just the meditation of your heart and speaking to God from your heart or, or with words. Uh, if you have the gift of tongues, you can, you can pray when your mind is unfruitful but your spirit is praying. We have the public prayer and private prayer. It could be loud cries, it could be soft whispers, it could be silently It could be deliberately, it could be planned, or it could just be spontaneous. It could be sitting, standing, kneeling, or lying down. It could be at home, it could be at church, it could be at work. It could be while you're traveling. It could be with your hands folded or with your hands raised. It could be with your eyes open or your eyes closed, your head bowed, or your head erected straight up to the heavens. In the New Testament, we find all of these Many forms and circumstances and postures, none are prescribed. There's nowhere it says, folding hands with eye closed, that is the best possible way to pray. It never says that. It seems that prayers are equally as powerful, standing, sitting, kneeling, walking, eyes open, eye closed, it's just as powerful. Jesus prayed standing. We see Jesus praying sitting. We see Jesus kneeling, probably many other positions. So the conclusion is we can pray whenever we are, wherever we are. conclusion is we can pray wherever we are and in whatever situation we are in. The Bible tells us that God is always with us. Lo, I'm with you always, even at the ends of the earth. So there we go. God's with us always. We don't have to go to God. Man, I'd really like to pray, but I, I got to go to church and I got to get my rug and I got to get my beads and I got to get a head covering and then I got to get on my knees and, and I got to cross myself and burn a candle and, and get some incense going and, 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 oh God, I'm so glad I made it all the way here to church. It was 10 miles away and, and aren't you glad that's not the case? Got to hit a gong. Boom. Got to bring some rice and feed God. Whatever the weird things are that we, God's with us every location we are. And then also, it tells us we can pray without ceasing. We can pray with just our heart when our mind's unfruitful. We can pray in the spirit when our mind's unfruitful. We can sing in the spirit when our mind's unfruitful. Or we can pray with our mind equally powerful. There's a guy that I wish all of you were introduced to, Brother Lawrence. He was a priest in a monastery, and, and he realized this is the world's worst place for me. Because <laughs> when it was his turn to not do anything but just pray, it was the most miserable time. And he finally said, just let me cook every day, all three meals. I don't ever want to have a time to just sit still and pray. I, 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 it just doesn't work for me. It's it's hell. Prayer for me is just when I'm in the kitchen and he had a saying amongst the pots and the pans and things and with the loud noise and the clanging and the people talking to him. That was when he was in the presence of God, the greatest in prayer. He was praying about every egg he broke. He was praying for people that came to mind. He had this tremendous prayer life in spite of the fact. I think I have two quotes there. I'm not going to take the time to, to read them today. But it's called Practicing the Presence of God. A little tiny book, powerful, life-changing. I think we need to learn that constant conversation from our hearts to God. I think we need, just need to practice this and value the presence of God. Lo, I am with you always. Let's just stop for a moment. Lord, thank you that you're with us always. And help us to be mindful of that fact. That in every situation, sleeping, awake, in a car, at work, at home, outside, with friends, by myself, you never leave me. Wherever I go, you are with me. You're to strengthen me. I can talk with you. I mean, imagine how rude that would be if somebody hung out with you and you never talked to them. And this is what Brother Lawrence came to find that God's with us. He is the dearest friend a man can have. So treat him as a dear friend because he really is a dear friend, right? You want those kind of friends that stick with you, right? God's that friend that sticks with you, never leaves you, nor forsakes you, nor is there any fear in the future if you become real sinful or weak or stubborn or rebellious or hard-hearted that he's gonna leave you. you. You can't shake him. He's never gonna leave you. It's interesting in this verse, if you notice how many times the word all or always is used. Notice there, it says with all prayer. And supplication. And and the really the all also goes before supplication in the Greek or can. So all prayer, all, all supplication in the spirit, being watchful this end, with all perseverance and all supplication. He says that word twice, with all the saints. Wow. He's making it clear. There's regular prayer where we set time, maybe in the first thing in the morning or before you eat a meal. But then there's the constant prayer.
1: Always,
0: at all times, crying out to God. This should be happening if you're a soldier of the Lord. The church, as a soldier, we're all soldiers, no civilians. We talked about that. There's no civilians here. We are all in the military. Right? I don't know, Tin Hut? Is that what you say? Tin Hut? Tin Hut, we're all soldiers, every one of us. And we're all in the presence of God. God is with us. I wish we could see that right now. Maybe it's like a fog. I don't know how we would picture that. And he's with us. We're putting on the helmet of salvation. God's spirit was convicted as he was with us even before we were saved. And now all the righteousness is going on. But God's spirit, we're in the spirit. He's with us. And, and we're always praying. It's sort of redundant. It says praying always with all prayer. <laughs> sort of the same thing, isn't it? But he, he's trying to make it point clear. One side of the coin, praying always, and the other, all prayer. Boy, he really sandwiches those together. He get, tells us what kind. Supplication. This is a specific request, earnestly seeking, entreating. He says that twice with all supplication. Then all perseverance. That means not to faint, not to grow weary in well-doing. In other words, as a soldier, persistence is pretty important, isn't it? I think if we were all going to go to the mission field to go share the Lord in India or Iran. Hey guys, we all have a chance to go do a mission trip in Iran. You're like, I'm not going there. And God said, yes, you are. How many of you think you would really be praying about that mission trip? How many think you'd be praying once you're there in Iran? Yeah, I think when we're in the battle, I think we pray. But you know, the battle is always brought to us. Satan, oops, did I cut out there? Satan is always attacking us. And you know when he's attacking us? When we least expect it, right? You ever seen those street fights? I want to make it look like I'm walking away. Okay, buddy, okay, walking away, poof. I want a free shot. When you're not expecting it, I can do the most damage. Satan is trying to hit you the hardest when you don't realize, man, I was just sitting at home and wham. I was at work and I was having a great time and things were buzzing right along. And wham. We're in the war, whether we recognize it or not. Satan recognizes it and he's trying to do it. I think as we look at all of this, all prayer, always praying, I think it's a persistence. And, and it's interesting, if we look to the Bible, this is the story that we have persistence. The very first time God ever says, Write this down as the Bible. Do you guys know where that is? Exodus 17. And this is when the children of Israel have left Egypt, but there's these people, this country, the Amalekites, and they're just cowards. They're just picking off the the straggling back end of the people of Israel moving towards the promised land. And it was the weak, the weary, the half-hearted. People going, should we go back to Egypt or should we go forward? They weren't sure. And they kept picking off the weak, the weary, the half-hearted, and, and finally, God said, Stop them. We got to go to battle. And these are a bunch of slaves. The one thing that Egypt made sure is that these Israelis did not know how to shoot a bow and arrow, did not know how to use a sword or a spear, had no idea. They, they tried to emasculate them in every way they could to make them feel inferior as warriors. And he says, You got to fight. And so Moses went up on the mountain and Joshua with the children of Israel down below as they were going into battle with the Amalekites. And Moses, through trial and error, realized when hands are up, they win. When hands come down, they lose. And so my hands have to keep up till the battle's over. And this 80-year-old guy has to keep his arms extended minute after minute, hour after hour, and it's going on all day long from the rising of the sun. His hands were up, her on one side, his brother Aaron on the other side. They, they were doing all kinds of positions where he sort of hung for a while and, and they held one arm up for a while and they were old men guys too until the sun went down. What a strain. What a strain. Anybody here think they could keep their hands up all day? If you had two guys on each side and they were helping you, would you have any enjoyment in that whatsoever? That'd be miserable. But that's what God required. A painful persistence. And Moses was as God to the people, the intercessor, a picture of Christ interceding for us always, agonizing on our behalf. And he said, go get Joshua. Battle's over, go get Joshua. Joshua. Write this down, Joshua. Watch as I write this down. It wasn't you. See, Joshua's down there going, Did you see that shot? I didn't even know how to be a bow down here. I just been, I just shot three guys with one arrow. How did that happen? You know, Look at me with the sword. Why I just killed four guys in a row. How did I do that? Oh no, they're winning now. What happened? <laughs> and he says, Joshua, it wasn't you. It wasn't your power, it wasn't your sword or spear or bow. It wasn't the people. Write it down. 100% of the victory was God's. And it had 100% success when Moses' hands were up. And you had 100% defeat when Moses' hands were down. The first time scripture was ever written was an illustration on that persistence in prayer. There's so many. Elijah you know, that, that story there where he went up to the Mount Carmel and he started praying, God, bring rain after three years of famine and nothing. He kept getting up and nothing. He came back and prayed. And after seven times, he told his servant, go look and see if there's any rain on, uh, on the other side of the mountain coming up out of the ocean there, direction. And the servant said, well, there's about a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah's like, oh, get running because the storm's coming. Persistence in prayer. James talks about this. In James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, it says this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Avails much. Now we often like to think of Elijah's and the Samuels and, and, and these guys as such righteous, godly men and that's why they had such spiritual gain. But James wants us to know these guys were not extra spiritual. They were not extra knowledgeable. They didn't have a, you know, spirit of God DNA going on inside where they were born into this world with a, a slant towards being spiritual. They didn't have less struggles than you. And notice what he says there in James 5, verse 17 now. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed what? Earnestly consistently continually seven times that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit a nature just like yours but yet he did mighty things because he understood the importance of persistence in prayer then we see his pupil Elisha in 2 Kings 13, that last story was in 1 Kings 18. And in 2 Kings 13, there's a story. Elisha is dying of, I think, cancer. He's lying there. He's been dying for some while now. He can't get out of bed. And the, the king of Israel comes in and says, the Syrians are attacking us. I think we're going to lose. And Elisha said, okay, open the window. And he goes, okay, shoot arrows out the window. And this king is like, oh, it felt Stupid enough having to come and talk to this old guy dying. And and now he wants me to humiliate myself by shooting arrows out the window. And he shot one. Elisha's looking at him. Okay, here's the second one. What's the prophecy? No silence. Okay, here's the third one. That's it. I'm not going to shoot anymore. And Elisha says, oh, had you shot seven times, then you would have had victory. But now, because you stopped short, therefore, you're only going to have a partial victory. Jacob, I love this. God got that carnal, fleshly guy, and he was changed when he would not stop wrestling with God. He didn't know it was God at the time, but he wrestled with him all night long. It wasn't until he wrestled with God, one commentator says, It was not until Jacob wrestled with God all night that Jacob was to see the face of God and was changed. That persistence in prayer changes us as we're getting the answers to prayer. Jesus' main theme on prayer was persistence. At the beginning of the gospel in Matthew, they said, teach us to pray. And he taught them basically what we're going to read in Luke with a little bit of difference. But then at the very end of the ministry, they're still saying, I think there's something more. We need on prayer. And Jesus basically repeats what he said earlier in the ministry. And, and he they he said, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, well, it's like this. The first thing you need to know, it's like a friend going to his best friend in the middle of the night because he had a friend come in from out of town and he had no bread to give him. And so he's knocking on your door in the middle of the night. Kids are asleep. The dog's quiet. The, the chickens are quiet. Everything's in its place it took a while to get there but you're sleeping deeply he woke up the chickens are going the dogs going the lambs are all irritated and and the kids are waking up and he's like please give me some food and he goes go away go away and it says the guy won't give it to him but the guy won't leave he finally said since you're not going to stop knocking Since you're not going to let me sleep until I give you bread, I'm going to get up. And it says he gets up and he gives him all the bread he desires. And Jesus says, this is exactly the way it is in prayer. The person who has faith in God in prayer, this is the way it looks. And so he goes on in Luke 11 to say, so ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it'll be open for you for everyone who asks and keeps on asking in the Greek it's in the present continuous form seeks and keeps on seeking knocks and keeps on knocking it will be open to him in Luke 18 another parable this is a a parable about a persistent widow who goes to a judge who hates people and he doesn't believe in God he's an atheist And this widow says, I need your help. And he's like, I'm not going to help you. Just one of thousands of widows that can never give me any money or pay me back for helping you. Very corrupt system. But yet she persists. And finally, God says, Jesus saying, not because the judge changed his nature. He still didn't like people and he still didn't believe in God. But because of her persistence, he helped her. And Jesus says, How much more will God help his believers? Who is God? (laughs) He loves us. He cares for us, especially widows and orphans. But how much more will God give to those who cry out to him day and night? But then Jesus ends that Luke 11 with a very sober thought. When the Son of Man returns... Will he find faith on the earth? In times prophecy that the church worldwide is going to be a weak church in the last days, an apostasy many are going to fall away. But the Christians that don't fall away are struggling with doubt, are struggling in, in depression, are struggling with the lust of the cares of this life and this world and the desire for other things. Uh, there's so many other stories. I'm going to skip that. And the last thing we see on the quality of prayer is not just persistence, but now also to be watchful. What's this mean, to be awake? Is it important for a soldier to be awake when he's on duty? This is what he's saying. We always need to be awake. When is this scripture most talked about? Guys, this scripture on watch, being watchful in prayer, that phrase, excuse me, not scripture, but that phrase is mostly used when talking about the second coming of Christ. Each time Jesus said, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. What do I say to you guys as disciples before that time comes? Watch therefore that you do, because you do not the hour the Lord is coming. Jesus says all the way through, I don't have them all listed here, but he says all the way through, watch and pray. Because you don't know the hour, but you do know the season. So the idea of being watchful is a sense, I know what time we're in. And I'm praying more diligently because I realize we're in a time of war or we're in the last days. Or we're in a time where the enemy lies are greater and greater And Satan's getting a stronghold in a country to bring us down. Paul, the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4 through 6, he says, You, brethren, are not of darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, do not let us sleep as others do, but let us what? Watch and be sober. Peter says to be vigilant or to watch because the devil is seeking who he may devour, and First Peter four seven talking about the end time says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and what watchful in your prayers. We of all people, this verse Ephesians six eighteen applies to us to be watchful in our prayers. So we've brought it together back around, praying always with all prayer and supplication in. The Spirit being watchful to this end. I want to give you guys a great joyful truth. It's not on you alone to be in the Spirit. God knows that is a hard thing for us. So you know what's happening all the time? God's bringing us to a desperateness. And then the Holy Spirit helps us to get in the Spirit. Isn't that great? Man, I'm not in the Spirit. Just say, God, help me not in the Spirit. Help me. Oh, right away. That's a prayer you can answer, huh? God, I feel like I'm being religious here. Would you shake that religiousness out of me? Yes, absolutely. Lord, do I have my feet shod with the gospel of priests? with the gospel of peace. I don't really share the Lord with people. Lord, would you help me get my feet shod? Boom, it'll happen. Romans 8, you guys know this, but I got to read it, it's so powerful. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered for he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints how according to the will of god and first john 5 says when we pray according to the will of god he hears us and we know how we have the very thing that we've asked of him so we are weak being in the spirit oh boy flesh we understand <laughs> we, we've never prayed god help me get in the flesh. I'm so spiritual that I forgot how to live according to this earth and the flesh. We we never prayed for that, right? We want less flesh, (laughs) more spirit. And God knows, and his spirit is always helping us with groanings. So you wake up groaning, or you go to bed groaning, or you, you get on the freeway and you're groaning. It's the Lord helping us to pray in his perfect will. The final little phrase there is for all the saints. Dave Guzik in his commentary says, we can battle spiritually not only for our own behalf, but also for the behalf of others. The soldier isn't only concerned for his or her safety. He feels an instinct to protect and to go to the battle on behalf of others. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have him do unto you. How do I pray for that guy? What do you want? Uh, Money, power, fame. I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I hope it's more than that. But you you guys know your needs. What are your weaknesses? That's also everybody else's weaknesses. What are your desires? Those are the same desires that they have. So as you pray them for yourself, you pray them for others. So what do we learn? We learn prayer is powerful if the deciding factor, it's the real deciding factor in spiritual warfare. Is you remember, 2 Corinthians 10.4, our, our weapons are not carnal, but spiritual, ripping down strongholds. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see those prayers ripping down the strongholds. Satan is seeking to disarm Christian soldiers of all weapons, but especially of prayer because he knows how effectual it is. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This Christian soldier must move forward on his knees. I just wanted to end with just encouraging you with sort of a plethora of verses on prayer. Just want to wash you in the water of the word on scriptures and prayer as we end here. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary, while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Persistence, huh? James 4, 2. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Maybe you got discouraged or you slacked off in your prayer life or you didn't feel righteous enough to pray. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a what? Rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do, I love these next three words, exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Matthew 7.8, and everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, to him who knocks, it will be open. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Mark eleven, twenty-two 22 to 24, and Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. And what? You will have them. John 14, verse 13 to 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Jesus was rather irresponsible on the topic of prayer, wasn't he? He, 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 didn't, he didn't try to give us a reasonable expectation, did he? Ask this mountain to be removed. Believe it, it'll happen. Anything you ask in my name, I'm gonna do it. I want the Father to be glorified by answering many of your prayers. I think, I think we pray too little. I think we ask too little. We don't wanna leave any prayers on the table, do we? We don't want to go to heaven and we see this warehouse, which is all the things that have happened in our lifetime. And this spot is empty and this spot is empty and this spot is empty and that spot and that spot. What are these empty spots? Oh, those are prayers I would have answered for you had you asked. I don't want that. Do you? I don't leave anything on the table. We should be asking too much and then let God say no. Let God say wait. But man, don't stop asking. Ask anything in my name, I'll do it. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Oh, I did this one twice. John or Jeremiah 33.3, 3. I guess the Lord wants you to hear it twice. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things you know not of. Psalms 50 verse 15, call unto me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Here's three great quotes. This is one by Chuck at the first one. Those who are strong in faith make prayer their first priority. But those who are weak, oh, spelled that wrong, in faith makes prayer their last thought. Those who are weak in faith make prayer their last thought. With God, we are a majority. I love that. God is on the throne. We are at his footstool, only a knees distance away. Lord, we come today as we begin to see the end of being strong in the Lord through putting on the full armor of God. We realize that the most important thing, was mentioned last. That as we're in the battle we're praying, before the battle we're praying, after the battle we're praying, around the fire we're praying, while we're putting on our full armor we're praying, when we're laying in bed at night, when we wake up in the morning, when we walk along the way, as we sit down with our eyes open, with our eyes closed, when we're feeling spiritual, when we're feeling unspiritual, when we feel totally like a sinner and we feel like we're not worthy to even talk to you, when we feel righteous and, and we just love your presence. Lord, cleanse us all. If there's any of you right now that think God loves you when you're more righteous, but he loves me less when I'm unrighteous, Forget that. Believe in a God who justifies the ungodly, why we were sinners, why we were enemies. Christ died for us. How much more now, how much more now as believers does he wash us and cleanse us from all our sins? If you're here right now and maybe it's your helmet that's been knocked off, come back to Jesus. Just, that's it. Jesus, you're saved. <laughs> you never were not saved. You're just doubting that. That's what Satan does, those fiery darts of doubt. Maybe you're feeling weak right now because if you've been sinning. You've been in the flesh. You've been walking in the flesh. You, you've been doing things you shouldn't and you got things at home you shouldn't and you're listening and watching and doing things and, and you're just feeling so beat up right now. Well, be healed. Jesus, heal me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I want to walk righteously, but I'm walking unrighteously. Help me, God. Spirit, Spirit, help me be in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me groanings and help me to pray in your will. And Lord, help all of us be hungry. God, I want to know you more. I want to know your word more. I want to worship you more. I want to pray more. I want to witness more. I want to fight successfully in the battle. I want to fight and my sword to deliver my companion. I want my sword to be the sword that wins the battle. Cleanse us, Lord. Let's just pray all right now. Cleanse us, Lord. Wash us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Restore us, Lord. Thank you that you love us so much. And Lord, we want to love you more. Spirit, give me strength to love God more. Thank you. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, the Bible says just call in the name of the Lord. You'll be saved. Jesus, save me. He's rich to all who call upon his name. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Through the work of the cross, through his burial and death and resurrection, you're saved. In Jesus, Jesus' precious name.